holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. This is a bit strange because this podcast began in 2006, October 2006. And during that period, people have come and people have gone. Players have been and they've played and they've left again. Staff members, board members, fans, I guess readers and listeners of this podcast have have come and gone for various reasons, for good or for bad or whatever. But the one constant, well, apart from me, the, the other constant is Arsene Wenger. He has always been the manager of Arsenal as long as I've been doing a podcast. It's always been his team selection. It's always been his transfers. It's always been his tactics. It's always been it's always been him. And for the very last time with Arsene Wenger as manager, I'm sitting down to talk into a microphone to spout the usual nonsense and waffle that I have done for the last nearly 12 years. And it feels strange. I know it's the end of a season, and that usually results in a bit of downtime or things not being as hectic as as they normally would be, and it's uh, the end of a season is a time for change in many respects. It's when you uh, say goodbye to players, it's when you bring new players in, but now we've got to look forward to uh, to a new beginning, a rebirth, a renewal of the football club with a new manager, a new head coach, a new football executive committee, new players coming in, that's always exciting, but... Down the years, Arsene Wenger has been the constant presence uh, when it comes to the theme of this podcast. Arsenal Football Club and Arsene Wenger, the two have gone hand in hand for the last 22 years. For people who have grown up with Arsene Wenger as manager, who never knew what came before him, there is no Arsenal without Arsene Wenger. There's no frame of reference for that. So for them, I think it's going to be even more strange. I've seen some managers come and go, but... If Arsene Wenger is all you've ever known as Arsenal manager, the next phase is going to be unusual. There's no doubt about it because we just, we haven't done it. We haven't done it for so long. We think about Arsenal, we think about Wenger as manager. We think about Wenger, we think about Arsenal. I'm not saying it's a vicious circle, it's just a, a circular circle. A round circle. Not one of those strange circles with four sides. If only they had a name for that. But uh, look, it's gonna be, it's gonna be very interesting. That's all I can say. It is gonna be very interesting. But right now, we do have one game of the season left. We played on Wednesday night against Leicester. We're still seeking an away point. Uh, our first in seven games, seven defeats in a row away from home. Apparently, our worst run since the early sixties. I don't know what kind of a record it would set if we don't get a win or get something from the Huddersfield game. I suspect, however, that given they've stayed up during the week with a a draw against Chelsea and then they drew against um, Man City, didn't they, to, to get two points that they needed. When you look at their last three games, Man City, Chelsea and Arsenal, on paper, I know on paper, uh, you would <laughs> you would not give them much of a chance of getting anything from that game, even if Arsenal's away form might suggest they're going to take all three points. But credit to them, they stay up, and I think perhaps they might be, you know, not quite on the beach, but feeling the effects of a few midweek beers and a, a lack of pressure. The pressure's off now. You know, they might not necessarily down tools, but when you've got what you need to get done in a season done, it's... Uh, It's often the case that you just can't raise yourself for it, which is why, I know we've said this before, it's why the the Invincibles 
And the unbeaten season is such an amazing achievement because there were still four games to play in that season. And we've won the title. That's what any team sets out to do. We battled our way through those last four games. It was very difficult for the players. And uh, I think that's a big part of why that achievement is uh, such an incredible thing. But anyway, we've got lots to come. A little bit later, I'll be talking to Tom Williams, who's written a very interesting book about football, which I think many of you will like. So I'll chat to Tom about that. But now we've got James from Gunnerblog. James, good evening to you. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you doing? I'm all right. This is not an Arsecast Extra or even an extra Arsecast Extra. This is just a regular Arsecast cast but seeing as we haven't spoken this week i thought we should catch up and i also thought we should catch up because this is the last podcast Mm. we are going to do with arsene wenger as manager of arsenal football club that feels a bit weird it does feel weird actually when you said that then i sort of had a a bit of a shiver go down my spine it is so strange i mean you know since i've been doing gunner blog since i've been writing about Arsenal, Arsene Wenger has always been there. And as of Monday morning, that will change. It will be Arscast Extra and a brand new era. Yeah, we don't know quite what an era it's going to be. Will it be the Allegri era? Will it be the the Arteta epoch? Will it be Mm. the Vieira whatever? I don't know. (laughs) The age of Vieira. The age of Patrick. Um, Yeah, I mean, we don't quite know what's coming next. Arsene Wenger said that on uh, Sunday, Monday... He's going to take a few days in France. He's going to he's going to do a bit of work over there. Then he's going to come back on Thursday, clean out his desk, and that's that, or that's it. Those are the words that, that he used. And I think perhaps one of the things that we haven't really touched on a lot in recent weeks is just the practicalities of this on a, on a human level, right? We yeah. all understand this is going on. Arsenal are going to get a new manager. Arsene Wenger is departing. We we said a very fond farewell to him last week at the Emirates Stadium. It was a, a wonderful day. But the, the, the nuts and bolts of it, the ins and outs, the cleaning out your desk, all the bits of papers, all the whatever, all the file, everything you've got accumulated over 22 years, I suspect... I suspect, I'm, I don't have this as concrete evidence, I suspect that Arsene Wenger is perhaps a bit neater than I am in the sense that he's not going to have shit everywhere all over his office. I think his office is probably a bit more feng shui than mine. Minimalist. Um, yeah, a bit more minimal. Whereas if I had to clean out an office after 22 years, it would probably take me another 22 years. Yeah, it'd be like one of those sort of Channel 4 documentaries about hoarders, you know, where they get like a super cleaner in to come and sort it out. My <laughs> desk is like that. I mean, if you could see my desk now, I mean, it's to be honest, it's mainly pill bottles. I mean, I've got so many different ailments, but there's just everything everywhere. Yeah. I, I've given quite a lot of thought to that moment, actually. It's something I have been thinking about. When is he actually going to clear his stuff out of London Colney? When's is going to be his final day there? Because as much as we think of the Emirates and the occasion with Burnley as his, his final game, really, five days out of seven, or six days out of seven, his home has been London Colney, has been the training ground, the one that he built, really, the one yeah. that was built exactly to his specifications. And I think his last day there, you know, in what has been his working office for 22 years, is going to be a, a really, really strange one. And surely a really emotional one. I mean, he's done a tremendous job of keeping it together over the past few weeks, m- much more so than me, I think, much more so than most fans. But I'm sure he'll have a, a quiet moment to himself uh, on Thursday when he does come back to, to clear his desk at Carl. Yeah, he was asked at his press conference yesterday, uh, you know, what was he emotional? Was mm. he an emotional man? He said, yes, I'm an emotional guy. Uh but I've learned over the course of being a football manager, he said, I decided very early that in order to survive in this business, you've got to keep your emotions in check. And I think, you know, certainly in the first uh, part of his career at Arsenal, he was a lot less demonstrative, wasn't he? You yeah. could you could sort of see this calm and this zen emanate from him. But then as things have become a bit more challenging over the years, you know, we, we've seen some outbursts of emotion from, from Arsene Wenger, whether it's kicking water bottles, whether it's being sent to the stands, whether it's standing there in Old Trafford, like, you know, sort of this crucifixion picture, which is which was absolutely fantastic. In hindsight, I think that that'll be an image that Arse, a lot of people will take of Arsene Wenger, even if, you know, at the time it was a terrible decision to send him 
into the crowd. I think it was Mike Dean, wasn't it? But, but you know, he, he talked about this. He talked about emotion. The guy said to him, Have, have we not seen the real Arsene Wenger? We've seen the real Arsene Wenger, one aspect of me. <laughs> and I thought that was, there was something really kind of... There Freudian was, slip there. Freudian, yeah, but really, nice yeah, really nice, but really telling also. It's a good point you make. I mean, in his first 10 years with the club, he barely flinched on the sidelines. Arsene. You know, he would celebrate a goal, but you never really saw him lose his temper too much. And actually, in the second part of his reign, that's become pretty customary. You know, the sight of him squaring up with Mourinho, that's a great one. Kill him, Kicking kill him. the water bottle, as you say. <laughs> and just generally being much more demonstrative, much more obviously emotionally engaged. I don't know if that was just kind of, you know, the the strain he was under during that time. I think that was a big part of it, you know, with the mm. stadium move. He spoke in his press conference today about how that was the period at Arsenal that tested him the most, the immediate aftermath of the move to the Emirates Stadium. Uh, I don't know if it was just part of the sort of English football culture, you know, gradually pervading into him as well. He arrived from Japan, didn't he? He always seemed to bring a, a state of Zen with him from there. But... Uh, it's uh, it has been a very very emotional last few weeks really uh, for Arsene and and for us all and uh, I, I'm glad about that to be honest I think if he had remained entirely po faced and not shown a crack I think we probably wouldn't have had some of the the closure that I think we probably will all need after such a long reign. Yeah, there was some great stuff at his press conference yesterday. If you haven't seen it, watch it on mm. uh, arsenal.com or we have a, a transcript of it on, on Arsblog News. You know, stuff like where they said, if you could change one match, what would it be? And he, he goes, it's always the last one. And then he went, not Leicester. <laughs> that didn't mean anything, but he was talking <laughs> he's talking about Atletico Madrid. And then he's talking about, you know, how, how things are going to be different. He said, or if it's going to be difficult to leave. Yeah, it's difficult because this is my life. There are 20,000 trees out there. I saw everyone like this, and he made a little small gesture of smallness, and now they are massive. I will greet every one of them before I leave and say thank you. I mean, I just love the idea of Arsene Wenger wandering around London Colony, this wonderful training ground that he built, saying goodbye to staff, to players, uh, to administrators, and to trees. I, I just think there's there's something fantastic about that. But but just going back to what you were saying about how he's dealt with it, and he he, he talked about it a bit. Where someone, I think someone asked, "Did you have you enjoyed this kind of long goodbye?" And he said, "The bits of it, parts parts of it I've enjoyed, parts of it not." I think the not part would be the fact that he probably. He didn't want to go, or maybe the circumstances of his departure aren't what exactly he he had thought of. But I think we 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 often talk about him as somebody who is protective of players down the years. Uh, he's never been one to criticise the players, even Not when even when they've deserved it, when individuals have merited it, when the collective has merited some criticism. He hasn't done it because it's not part of his beliefs. And you can say that's a, a flaw, perhaps, in his character, that maybe a bit more toughness might have created a, a better environment. But, you know, that's just part of who he is. And I think when we look at everything that's happened over the last two or three weeks, you also have to, you also have to think that he's done the same thing for the club. He hasn't said a bad word about the club or anybody at the club or how this has happened or how it's gone down. You know, it's been hugely respectful from his side and from both sides, in fairness, which is the way it should be. But we know that football is a strange business and and people involved in football can often take little pops at each other. Um, It's not to say it won't happen in the future, but while he's been manager, you know, he's, he's sort of, he's made the best of it. I think is what I'm he trying has. to say. I think he's behaved with real class. I think he's behaved with real class. And when you look at the way that he's managed, even these last few Premier League games, which are seemingly meaningless, he's really done it in a professional manner. And part of that is laying some foundations for next season, laying some foundations for whoever's to come. I think giving game time to young centre-halves, even when it's been costly to him. You know, he could have tried to play a full-strength side in every game to improve his record between now and the end of the season, but... Typically, the man, he's still got one eye on the future, even now, even if it's not his future directly. Because, as he said himself in his farewell speech, he's an Arsenal fan. And he does... I do believe that all through his time with Arsenal, he has wanted the absolute best for this club. Um, He hasn't necessarily got everything right, of course. Who does? Uh, But 
I think that the sentiment was always right. And I think that we've seen that in this period. And when you say, look, he didn't, perhaps he didn't want to go. I think when you consider that, I think the dignity with which he's behaved is all the more remarkable. Mm. There's no, been no parting shots. You know, he hasn't had a dig at anybody. He hasn't sniped at the owner or the chief executive or even really at the fans, you know. And I think all three of those, even if they wouldn't be correct, could be understood. Uh, but he hasn't done that. Yeah. And he, I think he's, you know, class is the word that comes to mind when you think of Arsene Wenger, really, when you reflect on his reign and the, certainly the way he's carried himself throughout those two decades. And I think that's that's been present right up until the end. Yeah, I was listening to the uh, Arsenal Vision podcast and I think Elliot made the observation that he he seems to have had a weight lifted off him in a way by this happening. Now, maybe it wasn't something he wanted to happen, but when you look at how Sunday went down, and I know you, you weren't there, uh, unfortunately. You had another little moment, which we'll come to in a few minutes' time, but you know the way he was embraced by the crowd, the way that the players responded for that particular game, if not the one against Leicester uh, in midweek, but the whole occasion of it, the way it was marked, the way it provided, a, I think... I don't know too, that too many people, unless something incredible happens against Huddersfield on Sunday, I don't know that too many people are going to remember Leicester and Huddersfield from this season. That that game against Burnley is the one which is going to bookend Arsene Wenger's reign. Did you get mm. that sense, or have you got that sense from him as well, that sometimes it takes for somebody else to come along and tell you that this is the right thing for do uh, to do, and you you're not necessarily inclined to do it, but once it happens, you kind of go, oh, yeah, okay, I, I see. Yeah, that, that's fine, and I actually feel I feel maybe okay about this. Yeah, absolutely. I think we've probably all experienced that in some area of our lives, professional or personal. When you're in a situation and you're so busy, you know, treading water, trying to solve problems, trying to... And, and that's what Arsene was like, wasn't it, in the last few years? It really did feel like he had become completely stuck to trying to deal with the minutiae, trying to fix the immediate. Uh, and it almost felt like he'd lost that broader sense of perspective. You know, there wasn't that grand plan in place because he was so absorbed in just trying to stay afloat. And now that someone's thrown him a ring and pulled him out of the water, I do think that he can, I hope he can at least look at that bigger picture and see this is probably the right thing. And, and it was always going to end. It was always going to end at some stage, as all things must. And he has said that himself in several of his press conferences. He said, all things come to an end. And I really do think, and I take a lot of solace from the fact that of all the ways this could have ended, it might not be the glorious one in Lyon that we all hoped for, but yeah. it, it's still there's still been some real positives and some really lovely moments to take from it. And in many ways, as fans, I think we have to look at it and see that it has been relatively well managed by the club in the end perhaps too too late but in the end well managed and I think that the fact that our results haven't suddenly picked up it's not like we're suddenly unbeatable there's no doubt still despite all the emotion that this probably is the right thing yeah um, and, and what happened in Europe and what's happening on the road domestically I think confirms that and probably confirms that to an extent in Arsene's mind as well so I think that clarity has been enormously valuable. I mean, imagine if we were in the position we're in now, getting the results that we're getting now without this clarity. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't bear thinking about, does it? No, it doesn't. I think the decision washed away much of the frustration. It really did, because it was one of those things that very few people could disagree with. And maybe when he stepped back and looked at it, Arsene Wenger, you know, he, he understands football. He has seen managers come and go, countless managers come and go mm -hmm. in 22 years during his time at Arsenal and, you know, throughout his career in France, in Japan. Managers get sacked all the time. It is not an unusual thing. It's only at Arsenal where it has been an unusual occurrence in, in the last little while. And he must know that the performances and the, the league position and everything else, you know, when you take into account all the resources, it is... It is the kind of run or it's the kind of performance that does get managers the sack. And that's that's a reality. It's not personal. It's just what happens when you don't 
uh, bring your team to the level that you need it to be at. And as well, when you don't reach the standards that you yourself have set down the years, which it's fair to say um, have been very, very, very high. From day one, he, he, mm. he has set hugely uh, high standards at Arsenal. So it was inevitable that... Uh, Eventually, there was going to be something of a decline, and here we are, and and uh, and we're at the end of an era. Yeah, and and you know, I, I think Arsene Wenger probably should have left Arsenal a, a little while ago, but and perhaps he would have done had he not won the FA Cup in I don't know 2017 or or even 2014. But imagine it had gone that way. You know, imagine Arsenal had lost that FA Cup final to uh, to imagine uh, losing to, the semi final, the semi final to Wigan. You know. Yeah, exactly. Or even the final to Hull. There would have been none of this fanfare. They wouldn't have anything like the Burnley game. There wouldn't have been that opportunity to say goodbye and celebrate his achievements. He would have. We would have just seen a statement on Arsenal.com the following week saying Arsene Wenger has left his position. Now, I, I wouldn't have wanted that. I wouldn't have wanted that. I do think that this opportunity to reflect has done great things actually for the relationship between Arsene and the fans and there was so much discussion in recent years of how his legacy might have been damaged well I think what's happened in the last few weeks has shown that that's nonsense like I, it's clear that people are happy almost in, in in the entirety of the Arsenal fans everyone seems happy to remember Arsene for the good things that he did because there were so many and I think above and beyond all else everyone recognises that whether you agreed with him or not whether you thought he was a great manager or not you can't doubt and you can't question the, the service that he's given Arsenal Football Club for sure for sure I know that this is the internet age and someone somewhere is frantically writing a think piece sure right now I about... to my mentions now <laughs> <laughs> well actually Arsene Wenger wasn't that great when you think about it he didn't achieve that much you know he could have achieved more no question about it but he did do an awful lot for this football club both on the pitch and off the pitch and and, you know, you, you only had to look at what happened last week against Burnley to to understand the affection and admiration with which he is held by, I think, the vast majority of Arsenal fans. And I, I, that's a great point you make about if things had gone wrong, if Per Mertesacker hadn't scored that that goal eight minutes from time to rescue the uh, semi-final against Wigan, or if we'd, you know, conceded that goal that Kieran Gibbs cleared off the line and gone on to lose that FA Cup final, it would have been much more acrimonious and we would not have had that that beautiful day out in the sunshine that anybody who was there, I think, will remember forever and people, even if they were watching on TV or a stream, will remember that forever because it was, it was uh, something very special. Yeah. And who knows? Who knows what would have happened if we'd got to the Europa League final? You know, it's all ifs and buts, but there's no guarantee of success there. I, I do think that sometimes in life you've just got to be grateful for the way things have panned out. And the the Burnley game is a, a beautiful bookend on the end of Arsene Wenger's reign. And I think, yeah. you know, we have to be grateful for that and try as best as we can and forget about the Leicester game. Yes. Well, you know, there's not much point even talking about the Leicester game, is there? It's... Uh... I thought it was quite entertaining, actually, and just in the sense yeah. that there was nothing riding on it. There was no, there was no real stress about what we were going to do if we were going to lose. The result was unimportant, really. Uh, you know, I thought we acquitted ourselves pretty well with ten men. Once we got used to having ten men, second half, I thought we played some really lovely football at times. The interplay between Mkhitary and Ramsey, uh, Wobi at times, um, Aubameyang, you know, mm. we could have scored some goals. Uh, Leicester could have scored some goals as well. Of course, they did score some goals when it came right down to it. But, uh, you know, it's not it's not going to be that that I remember uh, at the end of this season, to be honest. But you were there. I mean, what did you what did you make of it very quickly? The performance and the, the well, the results, you know, you never well, like to lose. To be honest, but. I mean. Yeah, the, the result I've sort of made my peace with. It was a bit of a shame that Mavropanos was sent off. I, I think it probably was a red card, but it was just a shame because it kind of killed the game. And, and and actually, well, it didn't. As you say, we came back in the second half, but that first half we really struggled with 10 men once he went off. And uh, I, we'd actually started quite brightly in the first 10 minutes. And there were a few things I was looking forward to seeing in the game. I was looking forward to seeing Iwobi as number 10. I was looking forward to seeing Mavropanos, but there you go. It didn't quite pan out as I was hoping um, the game itself I mean it, it does contribute to this quite extraordinary away record doesn't it I mean I, Arsene Wenger must be desperate to 
put another bookend on that and close that off before would, he finishes. I mean, would I'm, we I'm be sure. the only team ever not to have got an away point in the? And this it comes down to this calendar year bullshit anyway, though, doesn't it? Sure. You know, sure. is is that a thing? Is the calendar year? Why is the calendar year a thing and not the season a thing? You know, our away record in the season is awful. Uh, but the, <laughs> yeah, that's not great either. It's I'll not warn great. You. No, absolutely not. But like, wh- why do we have to? Why do we have to make something new up just to hammer home the fact that it's been awful? We know it's been shit all season, but yeah, I think he would still want um, something from the final game. I mean, if you want to do it by season, I mean, I don't think you do want me to, but I've just looked it up. We are 16th in the away table on 13 points. To clarify, that is three points more than the bottom team, who are Stoke City, who were the first team to be relegated. So right. we are three points ahead from Stoke on the road. So it's not great across the season either, but it is. it does sound bad, doesn't it? The whole no points in 2018 thing. I just think it would be nice to get that out the way before yeah. a new manager comes in. All right. Well, look, we, we spoke briefly on Twitter last night about this, where we talked about um, uh, our, our predicted points for the mm. end of the season and uh, we predicted the games so just to remind everyone of what we predicted both of us predicted a win against Watford which we got both of us predicted a win against Stoke which we got we both predicted a win against Southampton did we we beat Southampton didn't we I can't even remember now yeah I think we did <laughs> was it 2-1 I think we did alright then there was Newcastle away we both predicted a draw and we lost that oh dear West Ham at home. You predicted a win. I predicted a draw. So you you win that one. Um, we beat West Ham, right? My memory is yeah, going four one. Four, one. four one. Yeah, that was a great day. I remember it like it was. Yeah, no, I don't. And it was three two the Southampton game. All right. Uh, then there was uh, Man United away. We both predicted a defeat there, which was fine. Burnley uh, at home. Now I have to say this came before. We we knew it was going to be Arsene Wenger's last game at home. You predicted a win. I predicted a draw. And then we both predicted that we'd lose to Huddersfield. Uh, so we'll wait and see what happens there. Our final points tally, mine came out at 58 and yours was 61. So I think we're on 60 points right now. So we weren't right. too far off. No, we weren't too far off. I mean, essentially, we went on the premise that we were going to lose all our away games or at least not win them. And uh, we've been proved successful there. I don't know how happy we're, we're supposed to be about that. but there No, you go. Not, not at all. Not at all happy. Um, uh, right, well, we go into this final game on Sunday. We, it doesn't really matter who we play or anything like that. Um, mm. It will be his final ever game in charge. You were at the Leicester game. You were working the Leicester game. You were at the press conference. And you had the opportunity to to do something that I think probably many people might wish they had the chance to do as well. Yeah, I was very lucky. Uh, I have been very lucky to be covering Arsenal and Arsene Wenger in a professional capacity and be in those press conferences and you know see his president presence and his, his gravitas and his uh, eloquence. But I took the opportunity just to hand him a, a letter as he was leaving his press conference, a letter that I'd written him sort of expressing partly my thanks for the, the service he'd given the club, but also just to to make clear this the this huge influence that he uh, has had on my life, really. I mean, I think over the past couple of weeks, I've really been forced to reflect on that. And I'm not even sure, you know, we'd be doing this podcast if it wasn't for Arsene Wenger. He really did. His teams really lit my imagination yeah. you know, and, and in a way that made me want to write about them and talk about them. And I think there's so much brilliant content surrounding Arsenal and so much creativity surrounding Arsenal. And I do think a lot of that can be attributed to Arsene Wenger's influence. I think, you know, his teams were a a hell of a muse for us all. And it's been a real pleasure. It's been a real pleasure. It's been a hell of a ride and there's been ups and downs, but it's been a real pleasure writing about his sides. Yeah, yeah, as you say, I'm really lucky that I had that chance and I'm sure he's going to be absolutely inundated with messages like that. But it was nice to, to hand him that and shake his hand and just feel that sort of personal connection and that sense of, uh, I don't know, just be able to express some some thanks, really. Yeah. So how did it go down when the press conference 
conference was over, did you have to like just leap up and run down to the front and grab him before he went out the door? Or just kind of. I mean, I'd <laughs> sort of been a bit strategic about it. I'd positioned myself <laughs> on his uh, path, uh, but I was a bit nervous about it because you know when a football manager's lost a game, someone as fiercely competitive as Arsene Wenger as well, you never know how receptive they're going to be. But he was in quite relatively good spirits for someone who'd lost last night. I think there has been a little bit of detachment from the from the results because they don't affect our league position. And you probably saw that from the fact that he engaged the Leicester fans when they were chanting at him to give him a yeah. wave uh, towards the end of the game. So just as he was headed out the door, I just said, oh, Arsene, uh, can I give you this? And he looked at me like, who is this man? Because who, is this, had... who is this scruffy vagabond? Why well, how has this man in a tracksuit uh, <laughs> penetrated? To be fair, Arsene was wearing a tracksuit last night, so uh, I you... felt an extra affinity with him, to be honest. You I were think... like, like cousins. Exactly, yeah, brothers, brothers from other mothers. And uh, I just gave him the letter in an envelope. And I said, it's from an Arsenal fan. And I have to be honest, it was amazing how his demeanour changed. As soon as I said from an Arsenal fan, he sort of went from a bit quizzical and a bit uh, uncertain, uh, a bit apprehensive almost, to he immediately softened. And he stopped and he looked me, he made sure to look me in the eye and he said, thank you very much. And he shook my hand. And it's a very fleeting interaction. And... Mm. Uh, while I've been in Arsene Wenger's press conferences and I've asked him questions and I've you know, been in groups of reporters with, with, been with him, I would never say that I'd met him one-to-one in any capacity. And just to have that little moment with him and just have that exchange was very uh, precious to me, to be honest. And yeah. having not been there on Sunday at the Burnley match, and I won't be at the Huddersfield game uh, either, it was a, a lovely... You know, we talk about the Burnley match as a lovely bookend on his reign I absolutely agree with that even for people who weren't there I think it served that purpose but for my personal relationship with him I was absolutely ecstatic and over the moon because you never know you know yeah. you never think so, so a security guard's going to come over and say who is this guy get him out but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he's a very gracious man and he's been very gracious throughout the whole thing and uh, I, I, I hope I think as well I think inevitably I think a lot of Arsenal fans feel like we really want to make our our affection to Arsene clear because it has been difficult in the last few years and we have all I'm sure at some point criticised a decision that he's made or something that he's done managing the club but I think it is important to try and make it clear that that is not mutually exclusive to having a great wealth of love for him and for the work that he's done and I, I know that's been a big theme of the past few weeks you know talking about that and how it's perfectly possible to hold those two things together but I think we as a fan base really want him to understand that don't we and I think that's what a lot of what happened at Burnley was about yeah. about saying this has never been really about you you know and uh, because we all just think we do think the world of him I think as a guy yeah 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 yeah. you could see that that was the reaction there was a lot of love for him so did you put a return address on it are you going to go like full Stan if he doesn't write you back <laughs> <laughs> I did put like uh, a return address but I'm not expecting a response because as I say I think those letters will be arriving by the the thousands and thousands on the mm. when he arrives on Thursday morning there's going to be a few sacks of post for him I suspect yeah I, uh, I, probably a few bottles of, of champagne and red wine but he uh, I did put return address I did put my name I did have a I mentioned this uh, I did a YouTube video where I read the letter you can check that out uh if, if you're interested but I did have a panic that he might look me up and be like oh my god it's the guy who dressed up as me and wrapped along to the thrift shop uh, and suddenly you know called me a, a massive hypocrite look, but there you uh, go. look uh, you have trouble on your mouth now yeah exactly <laughs> hopefully not hopefully he just sort of reads it has a little smile to himself and uh and that's enough. I'd be very flattered at the idea that he might read it. But I hope he does. I hope he does go through all that post because I think I know he's not a man who likes to look back. I know he's not a man who is comfortable receiving accolades. But I just think now that it has come to an end, if there was ever a time to do it, it's now and he should enjoy it. He should enjoy the admiration, enjoy the respect because it has very much been earned. Could not agree with you more. All right. Well, look, uh, we're going to leave it there. We will be here on Monday with uh, an Arscast Extra, the first Arscast Extra of what is perhaps the new era, or maybe it's a kind of, is it a limbo? Could we call it a limbo? Rather than the new era, it's sort of like a purgatory until we get to the new era. I, I don't know. 
Well, yeah, it's limbo, and then depending on how difficult this hunt for a new manager goes, I think it it might become purgatory. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how we get on. See how we get on until uh, till Brendan arrives at the end of August. It'll, uh, it'll oh, be God. a fun, a fun, fun <laughs> summer. <laughs> All right, man. Listen, I'll talk to you. Uh, talk to you Monday. Cheers. Bye bye. like to bid farewell to 2020 now use that same hand to celebrate the new year with drizzly compare prices on a huge selection of beer wine and spirits like guinness bailey's and kettle one then get them delivered to your door in under 60 minutes right now drizzly is giving new customers five dollars off their first order enter promo code new you at checkout Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com. This holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Right, joining me now on the Arsecast, I'm delighted to welcome freelance football writer Tom Williams. Tom, how are you? I'm very well, thanks, Andrew. How are you? Good, thank you very much. Uh, Tom has written a book called Do You Speak Football? A glossary of football words and phrases from around the world. Tom, we often hear about the, the universal language of football, but reading your book, while there are similarities and, and different ways to describe many of the same things, what strikes me is that this is not one language. There are so many things within football that are often unique and specific to, to different countries. Yeah, this is one of the things I found. I mean, in the book, there are a lot of examples of terms that exist in all sorts of different countries. You think about words for nutmeg, words for the top corners of the goal, you know, ways of abusing referees, etc. But there are also lots of words and, and phrases and expressions that only exist in certain countries and that could only exist in certain countries. Um, and I think those are probably the terms that I most enjoyed finding, um, things that things that say something about uh, the country uh, that spawned them uh, and, and the attitude of that country towards football. How did you go about gathering or curating all of these different phrases? Because, I, you know, one of the things that's interesting about uh, language, football language, or even phrases and sayings that are specific to a certain country, you have to get them exactly right for them to be authentic to the person in that country, if you know what I mean. So, you know, we could make a, a half-arsed attempt at uh, a Spanish uh, phrase, but it might not sound authentic and true to, to people uh, in Spain if we start talking about it. But So, I mean, did you have to cast the net far and wide? Were you looking for, for this in, in very specific ways? Yes. Um, I mean, when it came to the major football nations, there was quite a lot of uh, information that was available online or in books. I mean, plenty has been written about the football language of of Italy, for example, of Brazil. Um, but yeah, for, for the other countries and even for those big countries, um, it was a case of constructing a network of contributors from all around the world, um, explaining the concept of the book to them. Um, seeing whether they had any ideas, whether they had any suggestions, um, and then sort of working almost by a process of trial and error. Um, uh, and that's, that's, that was basically that the entire research of the book really was, was finding people in each of the countries that I wanted to write about and, and making sure that they, they got it, that they understood what I was looking for. Um, uh, and then once, you know, once they suggested 
uh, phrases and words to me. I then used that as the basis for, for further research and, and sort of went off and, and tried to dig around and, and find etymologies for things and then get to the bottom of stories um, and, and things like that. Um, so yeah, that was that was how it, that was how it came together. You mentioned nutmeg, for example, and it is one of those things that uh, happens in football. That is one of the universal things of football, whether it's on the training ground or on the pitch. What was your favorite um, alternative? Well, I guess it's not alternative, but translation of nutmeg in a different language that perhaps spoke to, to what, what the, the act of that is. Um, I mean, you get some great ones because I think, I mean... You know, nutmeg itself is is um, you know is is, is a, a a term that we're very familiar with in the UK, and and, and we know that the act of being nutmegged is is uh, extremely embarrassing. But I, I think other countries take that to 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 another level. So in Germany, that the word they use for a nutmeg is a being schuss, which is a leg shot. So the idea that you've been shot in the legs, <laughs> um, and there's there's a, quite an interesting sort of sub-industry of nutmeg terms that have sprung up to describe items of clothing that had the nutmeggy been wearing them they might have avoided being nutmeg. <laughs> uh, so for example in argentina uh, they have sotana which means cassock as in a priest's cassock um, and that is now used as a synonym for a nutmeg and it came from the suggestion uh, during matches that if a player who'd been nutmeg had been wearing a cassock he might not have had someone play the ball between his legs because the fabric of the cassock would have would have blocked the path of the ball um, uh, Brazil they've got there's loads of different names for uh, nutmeg in Brazil one of them is Janelinha little window uh, which I quite like they've yeah. got Rolinho as well which means little roll um, it's quite a nice one in, in France uh, Petit Pont meaning little bridge uh, which is fairly self-explanatory. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, in, in Bosnia and Herzegovina, they call it a suknishka, I think that's how you say it, which is a skirt. Um, and in Portugal, it's underpants. Um, right. So there, the sort of the suggestion is that you know you've you've kind of been almost literally caught with your pants down. Yeah, I mean some of some of this stuff is absolutely fantastic in terms of how descriptive it is. Um, as I explained to you, my, I can't find my copy of the book where I kept the note for this one. But you know what we might call top corner or top bins for whatever reason in, in the UK and Ireland. Uh, a shot that goes in the top corner. Is there one in Brazil where it goes um, something about it's where the owl sleeps? Where the owl sleeps, that's exactly it. Yeah, yeah, that's what they call it in Brazil and also I think in, in Portugal. Um, in Spain, it's where the spiders nest, um, which is oh, another yeah. animal one. Um, in, in Croatia, it's taking down the cobwebs. Um, and uh, in the Czech Republic, they refer to it as the gallows, the uh, the sort of meeting meeting point of uh, post and bar so yeah all, all sorts of different names for that around the world as well yeah it's kind of like hangman isn't it when you play hangman it's that that uh, exactly yeah that little angle yeah um i have to say some of the german ones uh, because of i think i'm not saying there's anything to all of our german listeners i'm not saying there's anything funny about the german language but there are just sometimes two words that are put together that become very very descriptive when you hear them in english and our, uh, there's one for the red card. It's called uh, Arschkarte, which means a yeah. card card from the back pocket, card from the arse, I guess. An arse card, yeah, basically, <laughs> yeah. Um, and they also have a, a traffic light card, an ample card, which is when a player gets a yellow card followed by a red card. Um, and that's, that's supposedly mimics a procession of colours on a set of traffic lights. There were quite a lot of funny ones I found in Germany. Yeah. Um, there were certain nations that just seemed to seem to approach the business of describing football with more humour than others, uh, and, and Germany was certainly one of those. Yeah, I liked um, uh, Gherkin Pass, which is a bad pass. I mean, I'm not. Is does that come Gherkin? Obviously, cucumber. Cucumber is one yeah. of those things, isn't it? You either like cucumber or you hate cucumbers. So obviously, whoever invented this was not a fan. Well, Germany, curiously, um, has lots of expressions involving cucumbers, all of which have negative connotations. So you have a gherkin pass, which, as you said, a cucumber pass is a misplaced pass. Um, a, a disappointing game might be described as a gegurke, which, which basically means cucumbering around. Um, and you might call um, a, a dismal team a gherkin troop, uh, which means like a cucumber troop. Um, and the explanation for this is thought to be that the German word for cucumber, which is gurk, G-U-R-K-A, 
um, comes from a Middle Greek term meaning a govros, or rather a Middle Greek term a govros, uh, which means unripe or immature. So I think the I think the thinking there is that there's something in the stem of the word or in the the uh, the sort of lineage, if you like, of the word gurk that makes people think of immaturity of things not quite being up to scratch um and that's where they have all these curious cucumber related football words yeah i, I also liked uh, kampfschwein which is uh, translated in the book as battle pig which is uh, a hard tackling midfielder if uh, why can't we just call them battle pigs here i think that would be much better yes and it's just one of those those gloriously german words that just sounds great and yeah. it feels like a great word to say i mean uh, mark wilmot's um the former Belgian midfielder and former Belgian coach, when he was playing at, at Schalke, he was known as Das Kampfschwein, the battle pig. Um, and then another another term they have for a similar sort of player is a Wadenbeiter, which is a, a calf biter. So the image there, obviously, is of a player sort of scurrying around, uh, sinking his teeth into his opponent's legs. Yeah. Um, which is also quite fitting. Yeah, we did. Like the ankle biter is uh, something that's used across uh english football a bit as well obviously yes. being yeah. being irish there, there there were a few in there there weren't too many because uh, a lot of our football vocabulary is tied up with with english but um for people who don't know rather than shouting man on when you're playing football in ireland you shout house which means watch your house which means there's someone coming basically someone coming to burgle you yeah and i must admit that was something that i hadn't been aware of yeah. um and- and I, you know, I've, I've even played football with with Irish people, and it's not something I'd heard before. And then I, I've written about this in the book, but uh, couldn't mention the expression "watch your house" without writing about "watch your house for Ireland," which, of course, was the Ireland's the Ireland squad's official song at the 1994 World Cup. Uh, so that that's got a mention in there as well. Right? Yeah. There's a few. There's a Hatcher is somebody who just hangs in the in the goal mouth looking for looking for the tap ins. Um, there was um, I was looking for toe poke. Um, and I'm not sure, did I come across it or not? Or... I want to think whether, whether it's still in there. Um, I think it's a, a, a bog toe, isn't it? Is that well. is the word you use in Ireland? Or, or a toe? There was some debate, I was, I've spoken about. I've spoken to a couple of Irish friends about this, about whether the term is a toe bog or a bog toe. Yeah. But basically there's bog in there, there's toe in there, and it, it basically means that I think it's either a toe poke or someone who's, who's, who's useless. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, a, a, toe poke, a toe bog is what we always called it, but there is a, a debate going on. I know that uh, I've engaged with the guys from Second Captains on this. There's no, there doesn't appear to be any um, agreement. It depends which part of the country you come from. It could be a bog toe or it could be a, a toe bog. And basically bogging the ball is kicking it as, as far as you can or as hard as you can. Um, so that's something, and uh, it's not necessarily uh, applicable to to real football as we know it. But what you guys call uh, rush keeper, if you're playing five aside, or if you're yeah. playing with with just your mates, um, we would call fly keeper. Um, yes, I mean I've I've heard fly keepers. I mean it's funny. I mean the, there are almost two different strands to a football lexicon in any given country. You have the kind of football talk of newspapers and tv and commentators and then you have sort of you know school playground level um and i mean you you think about i think even within you know even within the uk the amount of difference between uh the names that people give to games that are identical so when i was a kid i grew up in north wales um and we would play a game where you have one goalkeeper and then it's every man for himself and we called that singles and I know that in other parts of the country, it's it's Wembley singles. In some parts of the country, it's just called Wembley. Um, so you find that, and, and that is, you know, obviously replicated all over the world. These little games that we, you know, that you play with your mates and you've got one name for it and five minutes down the road, there's a different name for it. What's also interesting is the fact that the the language appears to be always evolving there are examples in in this um which are quite recent you know you think of something like bounce back ability which was invented by god who was it again you know better than i would um ian dowie ian dowie Um, yeah yeah he was when he was crystal palace manager um he he referred to his side's bounce back ability um and as a result of that there was a campaign to get the word included in the oxford english dictionary um, and and uh, the campaign was successful, but the uh, researchers at the at the OED found that it had actually been used 45 years earlier. 
in the context of American baseball. And to be honest, it, it's the sort of very inelegant coinage that you can imagine an American sport producing. Yeah, the commentator. Uh, yeah. Uh, so so it, not strictly speaking uh, an Ian Dowie invention, but certainly he, you know, he brought it back into circulation. And, you know, in fairness, it, it, it kind of plugged a gap. Like there isn't any word that does what bounce back ability does. Yeah. Um, you know, cumbersome word though it is, which I think probably explains why you know it, it is still used and it has sort of stuck around. Yeah. Uh, well, another thing that made me kind of um, curious was the fact that uh, you, you say that clean sheet, something we all know as Arsenal fans, we're not that used to them just at this moment in time, but we know what they are. Um, it's an expression unique to Britain. Yeah, I mean, in you know, in, in other countries, they will talk about the importance of not conceding goals, of finishing a match without having conceded. But this idea of a, a clean sheet um, that we use, I think it's an example of a term that we use quite unthinkingly without thinking about how sort of picturesque it sounds. Um, but there, uh, yeah, I, I didn't come across another country that uses clean sheet to describe uh, a, a clean sheet. Yeah, yeah, it's a strange one. I would have thought that was something that that would have been universal, a bit like nutmeg, perhaps, or, or, or something like that. Um, there are some Arsenal ones involved in the in the uh, the England section of the book. Fox in the Box is one, uh, which has, I think, reverberated since that first came out. Thierry Henry talking about the need for a Fox in the Box. For whatever reason, Arsene Wenger thought that was Francis Jeffers, but it, it's one of those phrases that, that's lived on. Yeah, and, and that was one of my favourite terms in the book, because it it was um, it was a term with uh, a genesis uh, that could be mapped out very precisely. Um, I've always found "fox in the box" quite an interesting term because it's very close to a similar French expression uh, "renard des surfaces," which basically means the same thing. I mean, technically, it means "fox of the penalty areas," "fox of the boxes," but basically the same thing. Um, and when I started looking into when "fox in the box." started to be used um, in English. Uh, it was the summer of 2001. Arsenal, as as you will remember, uh, lost the FA Cup final, uh, despite having dominated against Liverpool uh, that late Michael Owen goal. And afterwards, Thierry Henry is in the mix zone at the Millennium Stadium and complains about uh, the fact that there isn't uh, a Renard des Surfaces, a fox of the boxes in the Arsenal team. Um, someone like Owen, for him to play alongside. Uh, and then... Later that same summer, when Francis Jeffers pitches up uh, at Highbury, um, Arsene Wenger uses his introductory press conference to say, oh, perhaps this is the fox in the box that people have been talking about. Uh, obviously, things didn't quite work out for Francis Jeffers at Arsenal, but the, the term stuck and is now something that we use very often. Yeah, I like it as well the... The fact that we've kind of moved on. The only other language of football I think that we heard uh, for many years was was from Italy, where we heard about Catenaccio and we heard about a regista. Um, and there are some interesting phrases as well in Italian or used in, in Italian football. I like the one about um, the young priest. I can't remember the word now because my book is gone, but uh, basically a, a player who's, who's not quite ready yet. Is that the description? Yes, uh, this is one of many coinages by Gianni Brera, who was the great uh, man of letters of Italian football, uh, Italian post-war football. Um, and he was responsible both for um, coming up with all sorts of different names for the various different positions and, and sub-positions on the football pitch. And he also had a great flair for nicknames. Um, and he came up with the nickname Abatino, basically meaning young priest or young monk, for Gianni Rivera, uh, the great, very stylish uh, AC Milan player. Uh, sorry, the great, very stylish AC Milan playmaker of the, uh, the the late 1960s and early 1970s. And he described him as an Abatino. Uh, and, and his thinking there was that, yes, Rivera looked great on the ball and he could pick a killer pass, but he never broke sweat. He never got his foot in. He was very sort of pious and very nice, but there wasn't enough um, you know, wasn't enough work rate from him um, for him to warrant a place in the Italy team, um, and and that expression continued to be used uh, for years afterwards to describe that sort of player, um, a Meza Özil player, dare I say it, who is you know, very good on the ball, great to watch, doesn't necessarily get stuck in as much as uh, as much as he could. Yeah, and I suppose just going finally to, you know, we we use or we co-opt perhaps words from from other languages. 
Um, there, you know, the the idea of a manager in Italy and a uh, manager in Spain as well, which I remember uh, from when I lived there, being referred to as the Mister, uh, is a really interesting one. Where does that come from? Yeah, I mean that is the the part the the legacy of the the British coaches um, who went over to Italy and also to Spain in the early years of the 20th century um, and and basically introduced that kind of British style management uh, to the game in those countries. Um, they were sort of the first recognised coaches, if you like, um, and because because they were British, they were they were known as the the, the the mister um and it's stuck and it's it's crazy now i mean you you know you you watch um interviews with players from italy and spain even today they still refer to the coach as il mister um because it, it's so ingrained in the culture uh, and it's something that dates back over a century yeah it's uh, it's fascinating i mean there's so much stuff from so many countries uh, we've focused on really only a very small amount of it here the book is called Do You Speak Football by Tom Williams it's out now in a very lovely hardback you can also get it on Kindle Tom it's been uh, great talking to you thanks a million thanks very much thanks Andrew thank you very much indeed to Tom you can find him on Twitter at Tom W Football that is at Tom W Football the book is called Do You Speak Football it's available wherever you get books you know where to get them but if you can and if it's possible try and support your local independent bookshop one that creates jobs one that you know pays taxes and things like that i know it's not as convenient as some of the other options that are available to us these days but you still get your book you're helping a local business helping people you know put money back into your local community etc etc rather than some corporate behemoth that wants to ultimately replace every single human being that works with them with a drone or an android of some kind you know what i'm talking about you know you know. Either way, though, get the book. It is good. I think you'll uh, I think you'll enjoy it. So, we're going into our final league game of the season. I can't believe another season has gone so fast. I know it's been trying. It's been difficult. It's been a bit uh, tempestuous. There hasn't been a huge amount to cheer about in general. But it seems to have absolutely fucking flown by. Is, that, is it just me? Or I don't know. It just really seems to have gone by in a flash. I read something a while ago um, talking about how as you get older, and I'm sure whatever age you are, it's all relative, but the older you get, the quicker life seems to pass you by or the quicker things happen. You remember as a kid where like Christmas seemed to happen about every six years and your birthday was only about every 14 years. Now the birthdays are like, Christmas is like, oh, not Christmas again, for fuck's sake. But anyway, there was an interesting uh, theory on this, is that as you get older, you kind of get into routines. You you do the same things. You tend to do the same things anyway. Your, your weeks are filled with work. Your weekends are with the kids, or you're doing your sporting activity, or you're walking the dogs, or whatever it is, or you go to arse, or whatever it is. You know, there is a, a tendency to repeat the same things because they're comfortable, and we, we like them, and that's why we do them. And because of this, everything everything kind of meshes into one. And what you need are new experiences. And if you do new things, time doesn't go by quite as quickly. I'm not saying it'll revert back to that childlike thing, but maybe we're going to have that next season where it's all brand new, where it's different. There has been a familiarity to the last number of years under Arsene Wenger. Some of the failings have been the same, the results, the performances. We've seen them all before. We've seen a lot of it before anyway. And maybe that has contributed to how fast this season has flown by. And next season, maybe it'll be long and slow and torturous and different, or it could be long and slow and successful and different. Who knows? All we do know is that it is going to be very different. Sunday is Arsene Wenger's last game in charge. I really hope that his last game for Arsenal is a win. I don't really care how. Just that we win. Just that we get three points. We can put an end to this uh, terrible away record. All you can do at this moment is laugh because, you know, what else is there? And I would like for his final game in charge to be a successful one with some goals, some three points, and then that's it. That's it. From Monday, we have to think about what comes next. But until Monday, I wish you uh, all a very happy weekend. Thank you as ever for listening. Remember, if you'd like to give the show a rating or review on iTunes, that will be very much appreciated. If you don't want to do that, that's fine also. I understand that completely. But I do thank you for listening. James and I will be here on Monday. Have a great weekend. Catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. 
Hello everyone. It's me, Arson Vanker Hawkins. As they say, all good things come to an end. And this is the end of our time together, after so long. Thank you for having me for such a long time. I know that's not easy. But above all, I am like you, I am an Arscast fan. I would invite you to support these podcasters and occasional characters who remain behind. They have special quality. Apart from Amaori Bishop P.I., that guy is just a fucking weirdo. And he has very questionable personal hygiene. Even Mick Bentner smells better. I would like to finish in one simple sentence. I will miss you. Thank you all for having such an important part of my life. Thank you all. Well done. Bye-bye. Oh yes. One more thing. Phil Collins is a cunt. This holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply.